Happy Monday and welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, awesome, awesome uh, to have you here on this uh, holiday Monday. Uh, happy Juneteenth uh, to those of you uh, uh, celebrating Juneteenth. Uh, we made it through the weekend and we're back for a tremendous uh, week of work and discussion and conversation. Uh, fantastic show planned for you today. Uh, Delano Squires will be here. Uh, Shamika Michelle will be here. And so will Dave Shannon. Uh, and we'll be having a discussion today about Juneteenth. And so uh, let's get right into the fire uh, so we don't have to delay Delano's appearance. I know you guys are excited about that, as am I. Delano's written a column as well. We'll, we'll talk about that. He's kind of combined the whole Juneteenth thing with the LGBT thing and Eric Adams. We'll, we'll get into that, but let me first uh, get the fire started, and then we'll get Delano to fan the flames. Uh, so I spent a lot of time this weekend contemplating Juneteenth our newest federal holiday. I first heard of it in 1985 when a college football teammate from Texas chastised a group of us for being unaware of the celebration. He explained the history of it to us. As a boy from Indiana, I understood his appreciation for Texas history, but didn't think it applied to me or my family. I never celebrated Juneteenth. I never gave it much thought. I've lived in Indiana, South Carolina, Michigan, Missouri, Kansas, California, and now Tennessee. No one in any of those states ever invited me to a Juneteenth party. I suspect most people don't fully comprehend or get Juneteenth. It's a national holiday because of the death of George Floyd, not because our political leaders had a sincere interest in celebrating the emancipation of slaves in Texas or across the South. This weekend, uh, the New York Times ran an op-ed from Casey Gerald, an author and native of Texas. Take a look at this, listen to this. Here's his opening paragraph. This is a guy from Texas. I won't pretend June 10th has always meant a lot to me. I was born in Texas, as were my parents and most of my kin, all the way back to at least the 19th century when some of them were enslaved. Still, for most of my life, the day was just another holiday marked on the community calendar, even if it was our day, a day for black Texans. Perhaps one sign that a thing belongs to you is that you take it for granted. The past few years have forced some stronger feelings to the surface." End quote. <clears throat> The summer of George Floyd forced those stronger feelings to the surface. A weekend article in the Washington Post spelled out the impetus for those stronger feelings, writing, quote, <clears throat> during the summer of 2020, amid the racial justice protests following the murder of George Floyd, millions of white Americans became aware of Juneteenth for the first time. Some companies announced they would give employees the day off on Juneteenth, and momentum grew to make it a national holiday. Last summer, the U.S. did just that as President Biden signed a bipartisan bill into law on June 17th. David Kaufman, writing in the New York Post, agreed with the Washington Post assessment. 
Here's what Kaufman had to say. At a time when there is so much rewriting of American history, Juneteenth proves why history should be kept intact. Officially declared a national holiday by Congress last year in the wake of George Floyd's 2020 murder, the day marks the emancipation of black slaves by President Abraham Lincoln in January 1863. As we prepare to celebrate it for the first time, that's a mistake, we celebrated it last year as well. As a nation on Monday, it feels as important as the 4th of July. Wow, Juneteenth as important as the 4th of July. He's not aware we celebrated it last year. Juneteenth's connection to George Floyd's riots undermines the holiday's ability to unify Americans. A lack of unifying message undermines the success and purpose of a national holiday. So what exactly is the purpose of Juneteenth? That's what I spent all weekend thinking about. Opal Lee, known as the grandmother of Juneteenth, offered this explanation in the Washington Post, writing, quote, Juneteenth asked Americans to recognize that our nation's principles are neither grossly hypocritical nor naively aspirational. We have an inherited lofty yet practical ideals, and it falls to us to implement them as best we can. In 1865, that meant fighting attempts to reimpose slavery through violence. In 2022, it means opposing new forms of violence, whether it is violence that comes from within a community or violence perpetrated by the police. So I like the first part of Lee's explanation. It's unifying and inspirational. But the second half falls flat. She analogizes slavery to violence police misconduct. The end of slavery freed two and a half million black people. Slavery was codified into law and custom. The rare instances of illegal police violence are not, are not backed by law or even custom, no matter what people say. They're aberrations. Casey Gerald, the Texan writing in the New York Times, summarized his thoughts on Juneteenth this way, writing, uh, let us grieve for our forebears and feel deep gratitude as we think of the enormous price our people paid so we could be free. Let us remember that despite the degradation of slavery, they lived fully human lives too. They laughed, they loved, they dreamed, they ate sweet treats. Let us pray to them and say this year and always, thank you. <clears throat> Gerald's definition leaves out the price paid by hundreds of thousands of Union soldiers whose enormous price included the sacrifice of their lives. Gerald wants a black national holiday, not a unifying one, and he wants us to pray to dead former slaves. I would prefer to pray to God, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that out of this for now. My point is, black people, we can't fully explain or justify the Juneteenth holiday. Most black people did not care until George Floyd died. The black female mayor of New Orleans, Latoya Cantrell, best represents our confusion. Over the weekend, she unveiled a monument she had erected at Lafayette Square in celebration of Juneteenth. The monument is an Afro pick with a clenched fist. She said the sculpture represents the freedoms we've gained. New Orleans' next sculpture will be a do-rag and a can of Murray's hair grease. 
The freedoms that we gain can be represented by an Afro pick. Let me take a crack at defining Juneteenth. American black people did a lot of celebrating in 1865. Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to Union General Ulysses S. Grant on April 9th of that year, ending the Civil War and kicking off the official death of slavery. 22 days later, more than 10,000 freed slaves in Charleston, South Carolina, held a parade honoring deceased Union soldiers. The event is credited with starting the Memorial Day tradition. In June, of 1865, Union Army General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas and enforced Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Black Texans adopted June 19th as a day to celebrate their freedom. In early December of 1865, early December, the final month of 1865, the United States ratified the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery. My point is the year 1865 is important. Maybe as important as 1776, America was reborn, reimagined, and resurrected from the dead. The year marks black Americans' central role in this country's march toward freedom and exceptionalism. The African-American journey has been America's North Star, its moral compass. The fact that Juneteenth is such a divisive and polarizing issue speaks to how far this nation and its citizens have strayed from our shared moral struggle, purpose, and values. I wish we could rebrand Juneteenth as 1865 Day. We could spend the day honoring the people who sacrificed everything for America to experience a much needed rebirth. Right now, it's a celebration of George Floyd. I feel sorry for George Floyd. I have no interest in celebrating him. I think that's true of most people. So uh, that's my fire. That's my explanation of Juneteenth. And, you know, many people off work today, uh, probably trying to figure out, you know, appreciate the day off. Uh, but really don't know what to make of this national holiday that was a, I don't know if I'd call it a gift, it was a token offered to us by politicians, both on both sides of the political aisle, but obviously led by Joe Biden and the left, but this was a bipartisan decision to satiate and maybe calm people down, calm the rioting down, the racial tension down from the George Floyd deal. Juneteenth is now a reminder of George Floyd. That's my take. Uh, Delano Squires has also written about uh, Juneteenth today, but I, I, I want to start here, Delano. Is it mm -hmm. fair? Is my characterization that Juneteenth is more a reminder of George Floyd than of the freedom uh, Texans felt on June 19th? Yes, uh, I, I think that's a fair characterization at this point. Um, as you said, J Jason, the, the timing of this entire situation is not coincidental, right? I mentioned before, my wife is from Texas. She grew up in Houston, so about an hour away from Galveston or so. Um, and she told me she, you know, celebrated Juneteenth as a, as a child, went to, you know, different community 
festivals and commemorations. Um, and it was a big part of Texas culture. And the United States is a, is a large country with different uh, regional, um, you know, peculiarities and, and different music, different customs, different food, different culture. But when the ascendance of Juneteenth from a sort of a local commemoration, right, which did get out to different places, because as you said, you learned about it on a college campus from someone from Texas. So as people moved around the country, yes, it spread to other places. But for it to go from that to rocket to, you know, to the top of the, the federal holiday heap, um, I do think is largely a result of, of George Floyd's death, um, as you said, to, to sort of uh, pacify in many, in many respects the, the 1619 rioters. Um, and that's unfortunate because it really is a holiday that celebrates America's most important value and virtue, which is freedom. Um, but because it's being used as a political football, uh, it is, I think it has caused some people on the right to reject its essence because they see the way it's being used. And, and you hit the nail on the head, and we've talked about it before. If you think this country is built on white supremacy, right, um, both in its foundation that has sort of infected the entire structure like termites, then you need a new flag, a new anthem, new symbols, and a new Independence Day. And, that, and that's what I think the left in many respects is doing with Juneteenth. I don't, I don't have one friend and many of my friends, particularly the black ones, are leftists or, you know, certainly strong supporters of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've got many of them, family members, friends, whatever. No one has ever sent me happy Juneteenth. And, and that's in the years before and in these two years post George Floyd. And so it, it, the holiday feels really, really inauthentic because I don't think, and I could be, I don't think the majority of black people have embraced this holiday, uh, recognize it. Mm -hmm. And so it feels inauthentic to me, but maybe I'm just weird. And again, your wife <laughs> is from Texas, and so, but I've lived a bunch of different places. No one's ever invited me to a Juneteenth celebration. Yeah. So I, I think there's a couple things going on here, and one of them actually speaks to something that we talk about a lot on this show, which is um, sort of the difference between having religious faith at a person's core and then having politics. As it relates to holidays, I think the, the two most, um, I guess, widely celebrated holidays in this country, generally speaking, I would say, are Thanksgiving and Christmas, both of which take on a very uh, sort of um, religious flavor, even though you know Thanksgiving is not necessarily a religious holiday per se, but it's a day for people to give thanks. And that lends itself to um, uh, religion in, in many ways, right? So a lot of Christians may not um, think of Thanksgiving and think of the pilgrims necessarily, but they'll think, God, I'm thankful for all that you've provided for me and my family. And, and when we get together as, as, as families and wherever we are in this country, that's the sort of central point of, of the holiday. Uh, most other holidays are not like that. 
I mean, July 4th, Independence Day, obviously is huge for the country because it's the day that we gain independence from Great Britain. But more often than not, you're not going to get many people celebrating, quote unquote, um, Veterans Day or Columbus Day or many of the other holidays that uh, are federal holidays. Now, you may have regional variations. Obviously, if you're Italian and you grew up in New York City or Chicago or Philadelphia, uh, Columbus Day is a big day for you. But generally speaking, most people just treat holidays as a day to, to get off from work. And for that purpose, they're grateful. I will say this. We actually went to um, a Juneteenth celebration um, right outside of D.C. in the National Harbor yesterday. Uh, we went to Father's Day brunch first and then we, we sat out. And it was cool. It was a lot of people, you know, largely black because the area is in, a, is in a large sort of black suburb. And the music was fine. They had a step troupe, um, very uh, multicultural. At one point, um, the white one of the white women who was on the end sat down while the other people who I guess would be called people of color uh, did a particular uh, dance routine. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, it's because they dance in African music, right? They they won't let her do this, and um, so we had a, we had a good laugh about that. And then they had a band from Howard University that played and nice music, brass band, you know, and it was cool. But they played music Soul Child. They played Isley Brothers. Again, these are not songs I necessarily associate with freedom. Uh, I was hoping they would end on the sound of blackness in their song Optimistic, which actually is titled Chains. And if anyone's ever seen the video, the first minute or so starts with sort of a, a, a slow lament. You know, why were we brought here in chains? And, and it goes through that. And then the, the song jumps to optimistic, which many people are familiar with. And the next five minutes is, you know, these artists and singers talking about why they should be optimistic in this world. Um, I thought that would have been a fitting end. But I, I do think that a lot of black people have taken to the holiday for because of what they think it symbolizes. And Jason, um, yesterday, Steve, Steve Dayson, you know, obviously fellow Blaze, you know, host and um, sort of social commentator noted that he doesn't see, you know, much red, white and blue in any of these Juneteenth celebrations. And I, and I responded, part of that is because Juneteenth and the end of race based chattel slavery is seen as um, another stepping stone in the in the fight, both nationally and globally, for black liberation. And that's why many people are probably seeing a lot more green, black, and red, the colors of Pan-Africanism, than they are the red, white, and blue of, of America. Uh, I will say this, to the extent that that signals any sense of alienation that black Americans have towards their own country, that is a problem. Now, I speak as the child of immigrants, right? I grew up in New York City. I've been in this country my entire life. I've only been educated in this country. But my, my roots don't stretch back 400 years. Not here, not to my knowledge. But um, the vast majority of black people in this country are descended from uh, free black slaves. And when you have any sizable population in the country that sort of turns against its own nation and harbors um, antagonism and feelings of disenfranchisement and feelings of alienation from its own nation, your country is in trouble. In the same way, if you had a child, it doesn't matter what order they are in the birth order, that hated its own family, 
it's going to be frustrated because at once it realizes, it simultaneously realizes this is the only family I have and that I've known. This, this is the family I was born into, but I don't feel a part of it and I'm going to destroy it because I think I can build something better. Um, that type of worldview and mentality rarely ever f- leads to anything good. Well, and I can understand why Steve Dace is is bothered because again, what what if we want to attach all this emotional energy to our ancestors, mm-hmm. he has a right to attach his mo- emotional energy to his ancestors, and mm-hmm. he's sitting there saying. Pan-Africanism did not win the Civil War. Mostly a group of white Union soldiers sacrificed their lives. <laughs> That's what won the Civil War, and they were doing it under the red, white, and blue American flag. And so you can't then say, oh, well, we're going to create a holiday that credits mm. and celebrates a group and a movement that had nothing to do with winning your freedom and like people, hundreds of thousands of union soldiers, the overwhelming majority of them white, sacrificed their lives. And you can say it wasn't all over slavery and there was other issues, but a lot of it had to do with slavery. And so I I don't blame them for seeing it as off-putting, but the other thing that just confuses me is like, it's clearly a holiday targeted at black people Mm -hmm. that misses the mark even with black people. Because again, I think many of us appreciative of the day off, but don't really understand it as referenced by how can a mayor of a major city say, you know what, I'm going to honor Juneteenth with an Afro pick. An Afro, I, I, but I, I want to transition to a different mayor that you wrote about, and because okay. I love the connection and the parallels and just how you brought Eric Adams, mayor of New York, out here promoting the LGBT cause. Anyway, explain your column today about how uh, our, the American values are being closeted through this mm. whole LGBT movement. Sure. So, so I, I made a connection, right? I started with Juneteenth, talked about the long march to freedom. And, and I quoted Dr. King when he said, you know, that the, the moral arc of the universe, you know, bends towards justice, a quote many people have, have heard. Um, my contention in my article is that when you remove the biblical definitions of both morality and justice, that arc actually bends into a boomerang that brings you back into a different type of bondage. Um, I talk about Eric Adams because last week he tweeted that, basically he tweeted in support of drag queens in New York City public schools, not just libraries, public schools reading to children. He sees this as part of, you know, the proper role of an education system, both for academic excellence and emotional intelligence. Now. Jason, anyone watching the show has probably seen, you know, we're barely through two thirds through June. We've been inundated for the last 20 days with um, images of of drag queens, so-called kid friendly drag shows, um, queer beer, every corporation, 
having its logo lit up in in you know sort of rainbow colors on on Twitter on social media. So it's not a surprise that you know the mayor of, of New York City is promoting you know an LGBT agenda, which he is because he he went on to talk about funding he set aside for the LGBT community. My issue is that we have gone so far to the left that now the mayor of the largest city in this country and the largest school system in this country, uh, a school system of which I am a product, um, is now championing men dressed as women in in garish sort of uh, stereotypical caricature costumes. He thinks that that is one of the central parts of education, educating our students. Uh, and this is in a school, a school system where less than 40 percent of black and Hispanic kids, the very kids that these people say that they're helping in the name of equity, are reading or doing math at grade level. So so what I'm saying in my in my article is that. This is not the freedom that Frederick Douglass or Hiram Revels, the first uh, black person elected to Congress, right, a, sen- a, st- a senator from Mississippi. Um, this is not the freedom that they fought for. Th- their freedom was uh, a vision of blacks uh, dignity and self-determination. Eric Adams's freedom is a vision of a drag queen for every black student. You you made a point in there about the moral decay and and I, I was trying to uh you, it was where you talked about prostitution is commonly called the world's oldest profession because of its mm-hmm. prevalence. Uh, there's a significant difference between it being done secretly in the privacy of a person's home, in the back of someone's car, or in, in violation of law and openly on every other street. And, and th- that's like the, the point that I've been trying to get across is like, we're codifying into law and custom an immorality that you know was bad enough when it was in private, mm-hmm. but now with the drag queens and and the parades and just the whole in-your-face nature of look what we're doing and we're going to put it in your face, that's just a whole different level, and it just speaks to again. It's like America has lost its moral compass. And I kind of wanted to piggyback off of your point. This is what I keep trying to say about the African-American journey. We have been America's moral compass. And what Mm. you're talking about with Eric Adams is like we've completely strayed from that. And because our moral compass came from religious faith and biblical principles and, and men like Frederick Douglass, men like Richard Allen, men like Martin Luther King, Men like Booker T. Washington used to use the Bible and the biblical principles found in our founding documents to hold America accountable. And, and, and we've totally untethered ourselves from that to the point that we have a black mayor uh, in America's biggest city arguing that, you know what, uh, drag queens grooming your kids at libraries and in schools is actually a good thing. I. I just want to raise the white flag and say we surrender. If, if this is what we're doing now, we have no hope. And, and, and Jason, you're, you're exactly right. And, and the reason I mentioned Eric Adams's race in, in the column 
is because I'm sure many people see him, the second black mayor of New York City, as uh, another point on that long sort of uh, arc towards justice and equality, right? So they say, look, we got a black man uh, who's mayor, former police officer, he's gonna help save the city. And really, in fact, Eric Adams has the political in- instincts and interests of the, the liberal white wine moms of the Upper West Side, right? Not the working class black families in Brooklyn and Queens that are just like you know my parents and, and my best friends and their parents. Not, not like those people because none of those people left their countries or moved from the South northward so that their kids could be uh, read to by, by uh, perverts and, and sexually confused people. That's, that's not why they left, right? Wherever they, they lived or were born, they didn't migrate or immigrate to, to New York City for that. And whether it's Eric Adams promoting it, um, Christi- I mentioned in the piece Christina Aguilera had a, a performance at LA Pride where she was wearing a strap-on, a strap-on, right? And walking around and bouncing it up and down. And these are things which no person on the left will publicly condemn. And you're right, I made that point about prostitution. I could have made it about any other vice where there's a difference between darkness being practiced in, in the privacy of one's home where no one can see it, right? We may know certain things exist, but we can't see them, so it's hard to get a handle on them. And then it's done in public, but still in secret and socially censured by the people who sort of established the bounds of a culture. But then what's done, what used to be done in the privacy of one's home and goes into the back alleys, right? When that becomes something that's done publicly with the full backing of every corporation and elected official and and sports league and academia, you are in a totally different culture. And that is a culture in which disease is the is the default state of the body politic. And that's exactly where we are now. We are slaves to sin um, in a way that we have not been uh, previously, because, again, people try to bring up all these other these other things, whether they have to do with race in history or now. And the point is, um, we outlawed the things that had to do that were historical in nature. We outlawed anti-miscegenation laws. We outlawed chattel slavery. We outlawed Jim Crow laws. And even today, as you said, if a police officer shoots and kills someone unjustly, like like uh, but Derek Chauvin didn't shoot George Floyd, but Derek Chauvin's going to jail for prison for a very, very long time. No one praises those things. But there's not a single thing having to do with sexual preference or gender identity on the left that's done publicly that any Democrat will ever speak up critically of. Now, they may do it privately, Jason, and and this is what I'm saying. Every society has a closet. The question is not whether you have one, but which things you put in it. And the LGBTQ community is out of the closet. They're living out loud and proud. They've raised their flag, right? They've raised their banner over the country. And everyone who believes in the gender binary and believes that children should not be groomed in their schools has been forced into the closet. And the reason that that the left hates Christianity is because they know that uh, in addition of just sort of being a moral religion, it, it preaches a message of Jesus Christ as the only savior for the sin sick soul. And it says that morality is transcendent, objective and external to the human being. And they hate that because what that translate what that translates into is 
Christians saying in different parts of society, no, no, you cannot do that. No, you should not groom children or indoctrinate them. No, you should not make people hate one another because of their skin color, whether it's in 1863, 1963 or 2023. No, you should not do that. No, you cannot redefine marriage. No, you cannot redefine family. Um, and, and when you live in a society that idolizes freedom and liberty, right, and that freedom and liber- liberty are uh, unmoored from a center, a moral center, then what you get is, a, is 330 million people that say, I am my own law, I tell myself what is right or wrong, and I will do whatever I please. And then when you have, again, the, the, the cultural elites come in and say, and stamp that and say, yes, we agree with you, then you get, you know, America in 2022. Well, and this is the final point that I, I, I wanna hammer that I thought was brilliantly made in your column, is Christine Aguilera, as you mentioned, uh, did a concert, strap on, simulating sex with, I think one of the other dancers, I, I, I saw it. Her music is targeted at young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but regardless who was in the audience or whatever, but again, this is like, if Christine Aguilar wants to have sex with a strap on in the privacy of her home, I'm not going to object. That's her business, that's between her and her God and her blah, blah, blah. I'm not gonna, you know, and so I'm not gonna object. But when she comes out and does it on stage in a performance and basically just normalizing and just out of the closet with it and there's no repercussions there's no scorn there's no nothing for her doing that and then you make the point though if she tweeted out or said or indicated in any way Mm -hmm. like hey you know uh, Donald Trump wasn't the worst president Mm -hmm. there's a major price that she'll pay for that and so you're better off being immoral wearing a strap on in public and simulating sex uh, during a performance of music intended for young people, Mm. that's better than expressing a political opinion that the left disagrees with. And, And then again, I go back tying it all together in terms of our moral compass is just been obliterated. It's like, that's fine but disagreeing over politics is out of right. bounds and you're the worst human on the planet and we, you'll pay a, star, a steep price for that. Yeah, and, and, and that's why, again, Eric Adams is so significant, right? We, we're used to white liberals you know, promoting gender ideology and doing all these other things, but when it comes to sort of working class black Democrats, that hasn't been their tendency. But again, we, we're at a point where the curve is bending back and as you said, that's because um, across the board, white or black, um, we as a country have abandoned sort of our, our moral center. Um, I, I saw Jason the other day, uh, a young lady asked if in 60 years we're going to still have black communities. And I, and I responded, you know, we'll have some. But the values of the, of the aristocracy, the black leadership class are not ones that can build or sustain communities. If you deny God's moral order and natural order, if you deny the importance of marriage and family, if you promote degeneracy and self-destruction, right? If you say that the, that the government really is God and is the highest authority in the land, 
Um, if if you think education is for the purpose of indoctrination and that and that your quote unquote oppressors are also your liberators, you're not going to have a community. You you'll have people who are around, but they will be clients of the state. They'll be wards of the state. They you can't have free men. So you'll you'll go to the Juneteenth celebration and you'll be driven there by your social worker, right? A white liberal woman who works for the government. And she'll tell you what time you can leave. She'll tell you what groceries you can buy at the store. Um, and she'll tell you when she's going to drop off your next check. Um, and then when you when you and she'll tell you when your child is next scheduled for their uh, cross sex hormones and, and gender surgery. That That's what the future is going to look like if we continue down this path. And that's the case regardless whether you're white, black uh, or, or other. And I, and I think, again, Juneteenth really for me was. I look at it as that crossroad, right, where a people um, move from slavery to freedom. And Jason, we got over a hundred years of seeing what that freedom could could really purchase, right? You talk about the the story of of, of black people in America and how it's it's a phenomenal and inspiring story. And now again, we're bending back since the '60s. Black folk have resisted largely because we're church-going people, or used to be a church-going people. But now when even the elders are saying, yes, I, I want to see those drag queens in the school. I, I want to see them with their legs spread open so the kids can see the nether regions. Yes, that is freedom. That's what Dr. King marched for. And and as is the case, we talked about it before. One of the people that that really exposed us to this is the first black president who, in his second inaugural address, made a connection between Seneca Falls, first wave feminism. Selma, black civil rights movement, and Stonewall, the gay rights movement. And ever since uh, Pastor Obama said that it was okay for, for black folks to celebrate that, and that the LGBT agenda is the same as the black agenda, we've, we've been moving in lightning speed in, in that under part of, of the moral arc. Delano, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Uh, I'm going to uh, thank you. Great job, as always. I'm going to, when Dave Shannon and Shamika get here, uh, and I may save this for Shamika, I'm going to connect it even further. There's some awesome video of uh, Joy Reid hosting some show on MSNBC about black women and racism and all that they've overcome. And I'm going to connect it to the, you know, we've lost our moral compass. We don't even know what it is we're doing. Uh, but uh, stay tuned. Dave Shannon will be next. And then uh, Shamika will uh, help me wrap up the show. Uh, but before I get to Dave Shannon, I want to tell you about my good friends at Good Ranchers. There are two things you need for the 4th of July. Fireworks and a good old-fashioned American steak. It's easy to get good fireworks. There's a vendor on every corner. But getting high-quality American meat isn't as easy. Don't cook up a steak from some other country this 4th of July. Yeah, over 85% of grass-fed beef you find in stores is imported from overseas. No, this year instead, grill up 100% American prime ribeye from Good Ranchers. Right now, they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime ribeyes with my code FEARLESS. Good Ranchers is an award-winning subscription company that delivers American meat to your door. They sell steakhouse-quality beef, chicken, and seafood that's superior to what you're buying at the grocery store. You can do a one-time purchase to try it out or subscribe and get $25 off every box for the life of your subscription. It's an amazing product delivered right to your door 
every four, six, or eight weeks. So easy and so good. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You guys know what to do for the 4th of July. You need to be serving your fearless soldiers Good Ranchers beef. All right, Dave Shannon. Thanks. All right, welcome back. All right, we went from D.C., where Delano's at, Far East Coast, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm at, kind of the middle of the country, a little south. Uh, let's go out to the far left coast. Uh, let's go out to Idaho, basically. It's very close to Washington, and bring in uh, Chocolate Knox, Dave Shannon, and see how he's celebrating, Dave and his uh, seven kids and wife, uh, the stereotypical uh, black family. Uh, how are you guys, Dave, uh, celebrating Juneteenth out there in Idaho? <laughs> well, we went looking for the festival. There, there, there wasn't any black festivals for <laughs> Juneteenth. Although, I will say, I did grow up celebrating Juneteenth. Juneteenth was a wonderful festival in Minneapolis where I was raised. We celebrated it every year. We were out there. It was, um, you know, a time for the community to come out together. It wasn't just black folks out there. We had Mexican folks out there. We had white folks out there. We had Asians out there. We had everybody was there celebrating Juneteenth. And it was mostly Christian, too, at least while I was growing up. So we had the whole thing would start off with prayer. Choirs from every church would be out there celebrating and singing. It was almost like a talent show. All the food, the community food, it was all out there as well. And it was a very unifying event. It, it's kind of shocking, Jason, to see that now it's kind of all changed. I haven't been to a Juneteenth event probably in, oh, a couple years. But I don't remember it like this. I don't remember Juneteenth being a moment of separation for us. I remember Juneteenth being a moment of unification for us, what it was intended to be from the beginning. Um, which is why that statue out there that the mayor, was it, that put together with the Afro pick? The mayor. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Afro pick, that, yeah. That's insane. You know, when you think about what an image is supposed to represent, that is a soulless, atheistic type of image that does not represent anything at all of what Juneteenth intended to be. So when Juneteenth got started, the first thing that those slaves did was praise God and pray and then they celebrated immediately. That was the first thing that they did. And, and so I was thinking to myself, the other thing they did was they actually put on new clothes to represent a new time and a new moment and a, and a new beginning. And so I was thinking like, okay, what kind of image would I want to see or what kind of statue would I want to see that actually represented our forefathers better? And I was thinking, what would it look like for enslaved men to have their arms out with the chains on their arms and other men coming to free them, the Union soldiers coming to free them with the key dipped in blood, dropping inside of the lock, breaking the, chain, the chains. Now, that's a unifying message. That's a unifying theme where it brings everybody together. And it says at the, at the bottom of I think it should read something like we bled for our brothers because of the image of God. Right. That's what we need. That's what it's supposed to be. But it's been hijacked. And I don't think, Jason, our forefathers who celebrated right after the Union soldiers came, started the whole tradition, would even recognize what Juneteenth has become. 
I feel like there would be somewhat of a cleansing moment that happened, kind of like when Jesus came and cleansed out the temple and beat people with <laughs> tails and beat them out the temple. I think that's the kind of thing that our forefathers would do right now because the people who are supposed to be representing them have completely lost their mind and completely disconnected themselves from the original intent and have bought off this new type of image that has no connection to them at all. That's almost atheistic. And so we've just given up. We've been taken over by some other spirit than the spirit of our forefathers. So what do you think of my argument that if we celebrated 1865 and America's rebirth, which is akin a national resurrection, and it was brought, as, as you're saying, by men sacrificing blood and their lives for other men, women to live free. Uh, and so that whole year of 1865 is a, is a really big deal. It, it, it signaled like America is authentically committed to living up to the ideals expressed in its founding documents. And it just sent this nation in a new, exciting, better direction that eventually turned this nation into the envy of the world. And so I, I, I think that we've polluted Juneteenth and attached it to George Floyd. And, and we, you know, we'd be better off rebranding the whole thing and celebrate the fact that America had a rebirth in 1865 and we should celebrate that. America is risen from the dead of the near civil war that destroyed it. We should be celebrating that and including, like you're arguing, biblical values attached to this celebration. I, I like the, the origin of what you're saying, but I feel like this is a situation where somebody jumped in my car, held me at gunpoint, kicked me out and trying to drive my car with my people off the cliff. I'm not giving up the car, Jason. We're going to have to fight for this one. This is this is one that would, if we do this, if we take that approach, I think we're going to be taking that approach on everything else until the point that they push us right out of America. <laughs> like at some point we have to say, hold on, this doesn't belong to you. You're the thief and you have to get up out this joint. And so what we have, the conservatives are really good at building things. We build things, but we're not very good at protecting them and keeping the, the, the riffraff out. It's part of our failure of masculinity. One of Adam's failures in the garden was kicking the serpent out, not just going to start a new garden. And Jason, I think we have an opportunity here to say, wait a second, the origins in the beginning of this have always been Christian. This, I don't think that some of the people are wrong with seeing this as a, a cousin or a, a younger brother of the Declaration of Independence. This is the fruit of that coming to people who had not heard the message that they were free yet. So these two are akin. If we're not going to give up the Declaration of Independence, then we shouldn't give up Juneteenth either. Just because they've kind of hijacked it, let's not give it up. This is the fruit of that, and they don't get to take that and eat from it. Like you like to say, they like the fruit, and they don't like the tree. Well, I'm sorry. You're going to have to enjoy both of those. You get to live in our world. We don't get to live in yours. If you're going to have atheistic ideology and worldview, you have to go. The problem is we don't have enough moral conviction of a culture within ourselves to know how to rescue this thing that's following. 
that's falling. And Jason, that's something that we have to work on. What does it look like then for us to um, begin a 150-year work project? Because that's about how long it's going to take. What kind of things do I need to be building now so that we rescue not just Juneteenth. Juneteenth is a microcosm of American culture. How do we rescue America? That's the whole thing. We have a 150-year project that we need to be starting plan after uh, making a plan, one thing, then the next thing, then the next thing. This is why you get married. This is why you have kids. This is why you train those kids to love Jesus because they're going to have kids and they need to be attached to their forefathers and their history so they can learn what God did for them as they move forward through time and space trying to rescue our culture. So if we... If, if we move off and let them have this point, it's like us giving up the car and letting them drive off the cliff. And I don't want to give up the car, Jason. So I like your point, but I want to fight for something that I think is important. And so you think we can reclaim Juneteenth and snatch it away from an event that has now been totally, in my view, tied to George Floyd. Yeah, I I think so. So (laughs) when we there's a domino effect of redemption, right? As we begin to reclaim the center of fatherhood, masculinity, womanhood, there's a domino effect that happens with that. Not just is Juneteenth been overtaken, but a lot of our other holidays have been overtaken as well. And so Juneteenth is just one of many other ones that we have to come and reclaim in a full narrative. And it's not so you might have George Floyd that is kind of the lead character of Juneteenth, but you got a whole slew of secularism and Marxism that's leading the the holidays that we have right now. And so, yeah, I think we can take it. I think that what we have to do, though, is say, okay, what is the center and how do we throw a better party around that center so that everybody says, well, wait a second, this is far more unifying. This is far more inclusive. This is. This makes way better sense in the world that I want to live in. We don't throw the kind of parties that tell better stories and have more excitement around them. The left really does a great job around that. And we fell at that. We can throw a better party than they can. We can be we can explain the story better than they can. But we're not doing that. We're not doing that in any kind of way. We, we just kind of let them take it and say, well, we'll start something new. And all we're doing is starting something else new for them to come in later, 15, 20 years later, and take it over. And so we got to learn not only to build something, but how to keep something. And fighting for something like this, along with other things inside of American culture, will help us develop that type of tenacity. And so you honestly think we can get everybody or a large percentage segment of Americans on board with Juneteenth, the way that it's been presented and packaged, not just with the George Floyd, as me and Delano talked about, it's wrapped in all this pan-Africanism, people that had nothing in a movement that had nothing to do with our emancipation, it's been packaged as that. How do you get the average American to embrace something that has been packaged in a way that basically says, nah, this ain't even for you. This is for those of us that think George Floyd is the greatest thing in the world, and those of us with a pan-Africanist, red, black, and green point of view. Okay, first I gotta say, if we were liberals, we wouldn't even be asking that question. 
<laughs> okay? If we were liberals, do you think the liberals were like, do you really believe that we're going to be able to get conservatives to argue for, I don't know, uh, gay uh, cross-dressing story time? <laughs> they, they just like, we're going to do it. Do you think that we're going to have homosexual marriage legal in America? That's what they did, and they went and did it. If the left is working at turning over things that are normal and in the form of reality, they are fighting against reality itself. And we are in flow with reality, and we're wondering if we have the ability to turn the tide? How is that? So we actually serve a God that raises people from the dead. The question isn't can we do it. The question is when will we do it? We serve a living and powerful God. The way that this world changes is through the proclamation that Jesus Christ died for sins and has made man brand new. And brand new men act and engage a completely different kind of way. I am not afraid of the battle that we have because I know that this is the perfect type of story that God likes to tell. Is it even possible? Oh, you got Pharaoh coming on this side and you got a Red Sea. You're going to die. No, if you know the story, then you know that the sea's got to open up. And so, Jason, the way that we do it is through doing the basic, simple things every day. We just celebrated Father's Day. Fathers, are you the kind of man that your son wants to be like when he grows up? Are you the kind of man that your daughter says, I want a husband like my dad? Are you the kind of man that your wife goes and tells your praises in the street because of your faithfulness? You want the place to start until you are faithful in those things. You can give up seeing the future change. But if you're faithful in that, then that's going to have a domino effect over the next 150 years as your tribe increases. So, yeah, I'm not sweating it, Jason. We're going to win, man. Mm, Dave, uh, this might be some of your best work. You've inspired me. <laughs> uh, you've given me plenty to think about. You've challenged me. That was some fearless commentary right there, bro. I appreciate it. Have a happy June Salute, man. You too. <laughs> All right, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com backslash fearless. Uh, all right, I'm going to unpack this thing with Shamika Michelle, uh, Joy Reid, and this little panel discussion she hosted on MSNBC. We'll get into LaToya Cantrell and her Afro pick, and we'll find out how Shamika is celebrating Juneteenth. It's my obligation on hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for some Shamoke show. Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamika, uh, welcome. We'll, we'll return to the South. Uh, how are you spending your George Floyd day? Uh, are you out celebrating with uh, friends and family? No, I am not. I will be relaxing, but I do have on a shirt that says "Freeish since Juneteenth, 1865. So that's how I'm celebrating it. <laughs> uh, listen, I had a friend in college, a teammate, that mentioned Juneteenth to me and a bunch of other teammates. Uh, and then that was probably until two years ago, my last discussion about Juneteenth. No one's ever invited me to a Juneteenth party and I've lived in about six, seven different states. Uh, 
I, I, what, what has been your relationship with Juneteenth? Is it a new phenomenon or, or is it something you were connected to beforehand? I've never celebrated it, but I do know of people who have. I've heard about it, and it always seemed as if it was just some type of peaceful celebration uh, steeped in tradition and history and culture. I didn't see this mass celebration um, until after George Floyd was murdered. Um, my problem, though, is that I haven't really seen an increase on the history about Juneteenth. All I've seen, and for me, it's it seems like it's just another day for people to take off work and for revelers to grill and drink and party. Because to me, people still don't know what it actually means. And I've seen a lot of posts on social media between yesterday and today, just really talking about slavery. They don't even talk about the actual abolishment of slavery. They don't talk about the Civil War or, you know, the fact that we were freed. You know, there's slavery all across the world, but here in this country, it has been outlawed. And so I still see a bunch of people just sitting around angry, talking about they hate the history of this country because they all they have done with this holiday is promote slavery and division and hate and anger. That's what I've seen. So I think it used to be pretty peaceful until the Biden administration stepped in and this whole George Floyd thing. And now it has just become a, ho a holiday for, for more division. You know, I what, what shocks me is that there are many people that believe Juneteenth was the end of slavery. They, they don't even understand the real history that the 13th Amendment wasn't ratified until December of 1865, and that the state of Delaware actually held on to slavery until 1901. Mm. And, and so I think it was Kentucky and Delaware were two of the last states to hold on to slavery. And so it, it's just, we don't even, know the history, and I think that's how you end up with uh, a woman like uh, the mayor of New Orleans, uh, Latoya Cantrell, uh, with, with the <laughs> Afropic uh, monument in celebration of, of Juneteenth. And so I, 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 I'm, what is she doing here? What, what, what is, what is that, and will a do-rag and Murray's hair grease be our next monument? Well, I hope the do-rag or, or Murray's hair grease was actually created by a black man because this Afro <laughs> pick was invented and patented by someone who was not black. It has been erroneously attributed to two black men, but that's not the truth. The, the first Afro pick, this fist pick, was created by someone named Anthony R. Romani. He looks Italian. Now, there's no argument that he wasn't black. So in, in my opinion, if you wanted to promote something that was su supposed to be about black culture, why not promote an invention that was created by a black person? 
And so for me, I, I, I can't get with it because there's too many inventions out here for black people. There was one by a man right in New Orleans that uh, helped to uh, create a better refinement for sugar. So what are we doing here? We're promoting something claiming that it's black culture that wasn't even the Afro pick wasn't even created by us, but it was used to promote, to sell to us because that's what we love. We'll run out to a beauty store and buy something that was not made by us, was made for us, but not by us. Yeah, that's, listen, I, I don't, I, I try to check my sexism and combat my sexism, but I'm t Latoya Cantrell makes it hard I don't know if you've seen this video of MSNBC hosted by Joy Reid. This is about a four or five minute clip that's been circulating. We've cut it down to the first two minutes. But uh, they, MSNBC released the show, I think black culture is women or black culture is black women or something. And, and Joy Reid and them were hosting a discussion about all the terrible racism that they face as black women. Take a listen. Can we toast to them? The I'm sure we have all been in yes. the struggle. Seriously. All the black people. How do we get our hair and makeup together? Back in the news business, the, your beautiful hair mm -hmm. would not have been allowed mm -hmm. even five yeah. years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went renegade last year and started wearing every kind of braid style that you, you could possibly do. Oh my God. We have 100 different styles. Every minute. And you know when I did it? I'm going to tell you when I did it. Let me tell you when I did it. When that Crown Act passed in New York, I'm going to wear all the different kinds of braids. One day, Joy had a whole situation, and this is how it always works, right? People text like, "Yo, did you see Joy's hair today?" <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. I, can I just? I just I worked on a show, and that person shall remain nameless, but they are very famous, and he had it in his contract that if you were a black woman, he was not responsible for your hair. Mm. And this was, this was a, this was a, a very it. famous. Who was it? Tell I us. Name, name, Because the person powerful. Just text it to us later. Text it to us later. Tell us later. But for all of you, I mean, in every single one of our businesses, we've had to deal with our hair being fried, falling out of oh our hair. Oh my God, yeah. Because somebody who didn't know how to do us, yeah. couldn't Ooh. sit in the thing. We couldn't have a black hair and makeup team. Foundation, two shades, oh, lighter, darker. Ashy. Ashy. Right. When you're not a celebrity in this way, this is a new thing being thrust into the spotlight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you're like a social justice person, sure. and they they don't care how they make us look Correct. at Correct. all. Correct. I have been in places where they've just handed me powder. <laughs> and probably the wrong color powder. Oh, absolutely, right. white powder. And I'm like, am I a clown? And so now you have to be a professional makeup artist, professional right. hairstylist, you already all know the things. I go on TV and I'm like, I look a damn mess. Like what, what, what have been traumatized? And I'm supposed to have hair and the hair is like that and they done. And I'm like, what? I'm, I'm doing everything I can to fight being, you know, the fat sexist pig that I am by nature. But I, I just, the disconnect between, and keep in mind, these are the women that they throw on TV that are supposed to represent the concerns, the issues of the typical black person in America. And they just seem so disconnected. And, and it, it, it's, but let me stop 
and let uh, your thoughts on uh, the hen party that, uh, and I hope that's not a sexist. Is, is that a sexist state? Did that just make me look even more sexist? The hen party that Joy Reid hosted where they got to the bottom of American racism. First of all, if they didn't think they were ugly, they would not be needing all of this makeup to start with. Um, I, I have no issue being on TV or having to worry about my makeup being done or my hair being done. Number one, I know how to do it myself. Number two, I have not started to take my makeup tips from men in order to feel like I look like a beautiful woman. That's half of their problem. All of these drag queens sitting around telling you that you need to contour your face. Most of them do that type of things because they needed to make their male face look feminine. They had to hide a five o'clock shadow. All of these eyeshadows looking like bat, um, these eyelashes looking like bat wings. You look crazy. You look like you get your makeup tips from a man who's trying to be a woman instead of just being a woman and celebrating your own natural beauty. So to sit around and sit here and whine about how you go on TV and they don't have a makeup artist for you and they don't have a hairstylist for you, stop thinking you're ugly, take the minimum, do it yourself, move on. If it's really about the, the voice or the message that you're trying to get out, that's what it's about. I don't sit here and take an hour to do my makeup before I get on screen, Jason. You know why? because I don't think I'm ugly. I don't have to do all of that. And when I go to be on Fox News or Newsmax or anything, when I'm on the blaze, it's the minimum. I come to your studio and I sit down with your makeup artist and they say, do you have on makeup already? You look fine. You know why? Because I'm not ugly and I don't need these makeup tips that men have put out here and women are trying to meet those standards. Stop complaining. There was a, a, a gay man that started to get heat over the weekend because he said, when these hoes need their hair done, they come to gay men. When these hoes need their makeup done, they come to gay men. When these hoes need styling, they come to, to gay men. And they asked people, what do you think about this? It's true. Stop going to gay men to figure out how you're supposed to look like a woman. You already have that. You were, you were naturally born that way. Embrace it. And, and so tying that together with Latoya Cantrell, it, 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 it just, we have the, and keep in mind, they released this MSNBC thing on Father's Day, which I think isn't a coincidence because again, the, the messaging is, that black women, they, they saved the 2020 election, they did that, they're the leaders that we all need. If we can just get Stacey Adams, Stacey Abrams into the governor's office and, the, and eventually the presidency, it's gonna save America. And black women are the, they're the secret sauce of American success. And, and again, I don't, I don't wanna sound sexist or whatever, but I'm just like, is this really what, what is on the agenda for, for, for when given some power as the mayor, oh, I'm gonna come up with a monument and it's Afro pick. When given a television platform to talk about black culture or whatever, I'm gonna sit up and do two, three, four, five minutes on hair and how the makeup team 
doesn't have everything I need. It's like their concerns are so disconnected from the legitimate concerns of black people. It's offensive to me. It's extremely offensive, and it makes us look crazy as black women. I want so bad, Jason, to to, to say the title of my next book, but I'm going to hold it. But um, they just gave me more information to put in there because I think it's ridiculous. I think it is very offensive. We have real things that we need to be fighting for, real issues that we need to be talking about. Not having the the makeup you feel like you need or the hair person that you feel like you need, it's not one of them. It's just not. Shamika, uh, let's take a quick pause and we're gonna do an approval rating on LaToya Cantrell, the mayor of New Orleans. Mm, this is gonna be very interesting. This could be one of my lowest scores ever. Uh, job performance, uh, look, she got the job, she's in office. I'm sure she made some sort of history. She's probably the first, second black woman ever to be mayor of, of New Orleans. So, uh, you know, she got a monument built, so I'm gonna give her a two in job performance. I gave her a zero, Jason, because an article came out on June 17th saying that New Orleans is on pace to becoming the murder, ca the murder capital of the United States, surpassing St. Louis and Baltimore. So her job performance obviously is not that good. In 2019, they hit a low, but since then it has skyrocketed. This is a crisis for this city. And with her being the mayor, I have to give her a zero. That's just not a good look. Yeah, I'm sure she's uh, part of the DNC, the Dead Negroes uh, Confederacy. And so uh, I'm sure she's happy with that murder rate escalation. Uh, character, uh, I'm, I'm gonna give her a one in, in character. I, I think she has very little character. If, if given the task of, of, hey, come up with a monument that celebrates the accomplishments, the progress, the freedom of black people, and the best you can do is an Afro pick, uh, you're a low character person, so I give her a one. I gave her a zero because she should have done some research and been able to see that this this Afro pick, this fist pick was not even created by a black person. So obviously you don't know what you're doing. You allowed that in your city. I also gave her a zero, Jason, because she won't admit how bad the crime is in New Orleans. So to me, your character is very shoddy that you won't even be honest about what's happening in your own city. Mm. Uh, authenticity, I think we're going to have some big disagreement here because I actually think, and again, this may be the sexism in me and I apologize and I'm prayerful that it will get erased, but I actually think she, she actually believes the stuff she says and the stuff that she does. I think she's being very authentic. I think she thinks the Afro pick the, the crime rate and she's doing a great job and uh, you know none of this is her fault or whatever. I think she believes all of that. So I give her a 23 in authenticity. She believes the babble that comes out of her mouth. 
I think you have a great point, Jason. However, I gave her a zero. Uh, if my car broke down and I called the tow truck, if my car broke down on Austin Avenue and I picked up my cell phone and I called the tow truck and I said, hey, look, I'm on Roxborough Road. The tow truck cannot come and help me because I won't even be honest or authentic about where I really am. The fact that she is not willing to be honest about what's really going on not only in her city, but across America, her authenticity to me is a a fat zero donut. Mm. Uh, it factor, I think we will have some agreement. Uh, I'm back down to the single digits. She does not have it. I give her a one in it factor. Got to give her a point. She won the mayor's office, but I give her a one. I gave her a zero. Google her, and you already know I don't think beauty is subjective. So she has a zero in my book. She don't got it, whatever it is. All right. So let me do the math here. You've got zero, zero, zero. If I carry the zero, you've got her at a zero, a dumpster fire. I've got her at a 27, a dumpster fire. Uh, thank you, Shamika. Uh, great ending to the show. Uh, love you. Talk to you later this week. That's tomorrow. That means we'll see you tomorrow. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless. We are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all want to be free. We want freedom I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just want